All right. How's that for big budget productions there, huh? <laughs> Welcome everybody to episode 25. We are this many, two five. Uh, uh, we're 25 episodes old and I am joined by Scott Wilson, as always. And I'm Steve Strobridge. We are the co-creators and co-hosts of Culture Goes Pop, the podcast. And since we have a monumentous occasion, we have also been joined by a couple of friends of ours. So we have with us Zach Grill, friend of Scott Wilson's. Hey, Zach, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Thanks for joining us. And we also have Alan Murphy, friend of Steve's, joining us on the show. Welcome, Alan. Howdy, howdy, everyone. Welcome to the show. And if you've listened to our episodes, Alan has joined us on a couple of special episodes where we talked about aliens and the Terminator and Predator. And we talked about long-running franchise legacy shows. Alan um, added some great value to, to those when he joined us at those times. And so what I thought we would talk about today is just super fandom like what are you a fan of and you know what have you been geeking on for a great period of time in your life so since we have never really heard officially from zach before zach why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory on who you are and if you want to tell people where you are in the world or not and um you know the uh the last four of your social and the pin number to your atm and things like that but um tell us a little bit about you and, and what you're into what do you geek out on give us the short version first we'll go around and then we'll get into longer discussions yeah so oh, i'm from ontario canada small outside of ottawa uh, i'm 36 years old now i was born in 86 so my fandoms are 80s and on, although I do enjoy stuff before that. Uh, I worked at Blockbuster for many years, so my love for film grew through that avenue. And yeah, now I just, I'm a dad now, so I don't get a whole lot of time to myself. And <laughs> so when I do, yeah. I try to enjoy the things that I like, so... All right, cool. And uh, Alan Murphy, remind us, for those who didn't hear you first time, a little bit about your backstory, where you are. Um, so, um, yeah, I've been on this planet um, since the very early 70s. I'm currently trapped somewhere in Texas. I think that's what they call it. And if they, you know, horrible accident didn't already give it away. Um, and, yeah, I just, once I got out of the deep, deep, dark woods of South Central Texas and ran into science fiction. I've been a super fan of that, specifically sci-fi horror movies since. Excellent. And uh, Luis Reyes, when you talked about uh, working at Blockbuster, he says, and how many late fees did you collect? <laughs> back in the, back in the day, I was right? always <laughs> waving the late fees. So. <laughs> be, be kind I'm probably and rewind, the right? reason. I'm probably the reason we went out of business. Uh, <laughs> and what about you, Scott? Short backstory. Short backstory. I was kind of born into fandom and geekdom. I mean, the first Christmas I can remember, my father provided me with a bunch of Star Wars toys I had never seen the first movie. Uh, I was born the same year the first movie came out. I also remember getting a Spider-Man toy. I think it was a, a vehicle for Spider-Man. It was like a Spider-Man mobile, if you will. Spider-Mobile. Spider-Mobile. Oh, look at that. Alan just showed his Millennium Falcon there. That's is that, cool. Is that is Kenner? It, is that the original Kenner run or is that the later Hasbro, Hasbro repro? 
No, it's the original. He's got the original Kenner Millennium Falcon. That is a that's a geek trophy right there. I had the original Death Star. That's one of the things I got for that Christmas was the, the original with Death Star. It's a little foam trash compactor. <laughs> with, the, with the little green, um, I forget, what's, what's the creature called? Uh, the um, the garbage snake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Blank on it. You had to ask yeah. a trivia question. Ah. Yeah. I'm not bad I guess. Yeah, and so I think the first thing that piqued my sci-fi imagination was probably being young enough and alive enough to see the first kind of rocket launches and moon landing. So I've been kind of a space cadet since I was a weedy baby. And then, of course, as a kid, being a fan of like Tonka toys and dinosaur books and coloring books and then getting things like the Super Friends and the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, Saturday stuff, and then coloring books and comic books. And it's just, uh, you know, it's kind of my gateway and, and I'm just uh, a major addict at this point. But yeah, all things sci-fi, geek, fantasy, DC, Marvel, I love it all. And and that was kind of those conversations that Scott and I were having in the car when we were driving around was what kind of led us to say, hey, we like a lot of really nerdy stuff. We should probably talk about that doing a podcast and get, you know, five or six people a week to listen to us. And so far we're exceeding those expectations. So <laughs> right, hopefully we'll keep growing. Um, so yeah, I am, I did, and we'll get into like, what did you get new this week? How did you geek this week? But I do have now my new Black Panther t-shirt. I didn't have anything Wakanda or Black Panther before I saw the movie or did the show, but I'm now rocking the Black Panther wear. So that's my, that's my big claim to fame this week. Um, so why don't we start with, well, Alan, you, you, you have a short amount of time where you have other things. So why don't we go with you and why don't you pick a topic of something you are a super fan of and tell us a little bit about that, Mr. Murphy. And we'll try not to interrupt you. So um, I'm going to go with sci-fi horror because um, I, I started in science, science fiction as just being a super fan since 2001 and the uh, original Star Wars New Hope run in 77. But shortly after that came Alien in 1979. And that blew me right out of my chair in the theater. And uh, I, I've been hooked on that kind of thing. And then along came The Thing in 1982, which is another towering sci-fi horror movie. John Carpenter. Uh, and th so, I mean, even today, I have the stacks of the Alien movie and The Thing movies and the books and all those things around. And I run them fairly regularly, especially since we're close to Halloween. So I do... I do I have to just run it over and over again. And while it doesn't have the horror impact anymore, it's still just, those are such quality movies <laughs> that I can enjoy them over and over again and still get laughs at some of the jokes and everything. You know, that so, reminds me of like when I was a kid, you only saw movies like The Sound of Music and The Wizard of Oz like once a year when they when they aired on TV and that became like your tradition. You know, every year at this time we'd watch you know, the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown and, and Wizard of Oz and, and all these different Grinch. things. And, yeah, and so now you have created your own tradition of watching these sci-fi yeah. horrors over and over again, which is uh, awesome. <laughs> which starts with Martian Invader Day on October 30th and the Mercury Radio Theater War of the Worlds broadcast because that was played up by the newspapers to be a big panic. But I love the George Powell movie. And so Martian Invader Day has been my gateway into the holiday season and as a nice run up to Halloween. But yeah, sci-fi horror tends to dominate that particular pair of days more than any of the year. But yeah, I'll play The Thing or I'll play Alien. 
I think I have Alien on, on every media it's ever been released on, including those little tiny discs for the PlayStation Portable. Um, and it's in my tablet. I have it everywhere. But uh, the thing would be the close second. So, super fanery. There we go. And we did a whole episode on the kind of legacy of the Alien and the sequels and our thoughts on, on those and whatnot. And um, matter of fact, after we did that episode, you know, just kind of listening to you, you kind of got me thinking about things again, because, you know, part of it is like, unlike you, I'm not watching it religiously. So I have to rely on some faded memories. But I remember Alien 3 being kind of eh, okay, but then I watched it again. And I did watch the, the preferred cut that you mentioned. And I'm like, yeah, no, this is this is pretty good. This is a decent Alien film. And even the fourth Aliens movie, I didn't hate it. It was it was okay on its own. So I kind of watched that whole run. I bought the uh, you know the, the the box set of the director's extended blah blah blah, and I watched them all again. And I've kind of reformed my opinions where I don't think there really was a bad Alien movie in the four movie run. Obviously, the first one being the best and my favorite, second one being that and everything else, whatever. Um, so yeah, and similar thing with the Terminator run when we talked about our favorite Terminators. I ended up watching all of them, and once again, I think the only one I wasn't terribly crazy about was Genesis. And even there, I'm like, you know what? If you just want to watch it as a movie, it's a halfway decent movie. <laughs> now just leave it at that, right? So yeah, Terminator's yeah. kind of sci-fi horror too. That's definitely in the list. And yeah, I the original, especially the first Terminator. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you know, Unstoppable Machines and all that fun stuff. 2001: A Space Odyssey has its horror element in the you know unstoppable computer that owns the ship, and this poor crew is just kind of beholden to it. And you could take it all the way back to the original sci-fi horror Frankenstein. Read that book, the original version, read it sometime. It's amazing how much it influenced science fiction and horror ever since. So it's great. I mean, just once a year, I got to reread it. There you go. All right. So how about Zach? Give us a little bit about um, what you are a super fan of. Yeah, so my super fandom, the first one I can remember was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was the ladies. And this I is, we're talking about the, the first run, right? right? Teenage Mutant the first Ninja, Ninja Turtles. Turtles. Teenage yeah. Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles. Right? Heroes yeah. in the so every day, every day after yeah. school, I would watch that, you know? And then the live action film came out and I was just obsessed with Teenage how, Mutant How old were you when that live action movie first came out when they are in the costumes? Four years old. Oh, really? Okay, so as yeah, a four-year-old, you really can't judge that at all, right? Other than, so this is cool. I, I went through the whole hype, right? Like, the Pizza Hut hype, the concert hype, everything Turtles. But this also led my love for martial arts films in general. So okay. in the 90s, was your we had... Gateway. It was the way. So I had the Mighty Morphin Powers also. That was big for my childhood childhood which blended mars plus kaiju genre so those were two mm -hmm. big things for me growing up and then around 95 chan started blowing up in north america with rumble in the bronx and then he did rush hour mm -hmm. so right. then it's just been steady steady just martial arts genre for what me. about the bruce lee stuff did you watch any of the bruce lee runs yeah, i watched those on TV Saturday afternoons. I remember as a kid, yeah. I'd be watching 
whatever was on. You know, I grew up, I only had maybe five channels. Right. So I had to watch what was on. And I remember watching films and old Shaw Brothers films. And uh, so this all led up to just the martial arts genre language. in general. Bruce Lee and Shaw yeah. Brothers. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you get into anime at all? Not into too many animes other than Dragon Ball Z, but again, that's very, you know, martial arts heavy. Too. Right, right. So, uh, Cowboy Bebop, stuff like that. My favorite one, Cowboy anime. Bebop. Yeah, I think one of the first major anime, th obviously what we didn't realize as a kid, but when we were watching Speed Racer, we were kind of watching uh, anime and things like yeah. Robotech and things like that. We were watching anime and that's not even realizing what it was. But the yeah. first like an big anime feature I remember seeing was Akira, or depending on how you pronounce it, Akira. So different people pronounce it different ways. But that was one of the first ones. And then like Fist of the North Star was pretty cool too. You ever see that one where like punching a dude and it yeah. explode and stuff? Looking at the yeah. chat of Louis Reyes mentions The Crying Freeman, which is actually a really good one. Uh, that was a, a series of what they call OVA, original video animation. Uh, they did a live action movie with Mark Discoscos, which never got like a wide release, but if you knew where to get the bootleg from back in the late 90s, you saw it. But that's like, that's one of the ones I have the most vivid memories of just because of the visual. Well, where I was going with that was one of my favorite video games was like the Street Fighter series from the 90s. And my favorite fighter was Ryu. And there yeah. was a animated, a full length, like, um, anime style feature length movie of street of like super street fighter which i thought was pretty cool too and had a really pretty cool soundtrack and stuff too yeah so i like i, I like martial arts i love martial arts as a kid and what i really loved in the late 90s is how they were bringing a hybrid of like martial arts and action to american cinema one of the first things that did it well was actually the blade movie so the original blade with wesley snipes brought in the martial arts the kind of techno music and the fighting and the special effects and of course the matrix took it to a whole nother level and if you look at a lot of the scenes in the matrix especially the first one where he's kind of doing the fights and he's like doing, you know rubbing his nose and doing that come on come on that's all nods to bruce lee moves right. and stuff like that so those choreographers mm -hmm. and and the um and the wire work and stuff they did um so yeah i mean i've been a fan of that too and i love to see how it's being implemented into different uh, forms of film and when it's done well and not just used as a, a mechanic that's not serving the story <laughs> you know it's being so, abused so zach um i see that you're about what you said you're 35 now 36 yeah. 36 so you're almost 10 years behind me just some oh, 10 years behind steve so we kind of represent uh, multiple generations of fandom here between the four of us what Give me an example. What was a moment? Because I can only imagine what you must have been feeling when you when you went to see that live action Ninja Turtles movie. I saw it when I was thirteen, and I was kind of bored by it. But I was thirteen years old, so the you know that's how I felt. But what what moment from that film really captured your imagination? I just loved it. Like just everything about it. It was like the cartoon came to life, right? And I was right. young enough that that was perfect for me mm -hmm. didn't go into it looking for us any of that <laughs> but as, you know, but as i grew up you know by the time turtles 3 came out i was like okay turtles 3 is garbage you know the live action tv series okay hold on hold on wait a second now what about what about the he-man and masters of the universe starring Dolph Lundgren? that's cinema excellence right 
Franklin I love Jones. that Skeletor. <laughs> I I remember I was at cottage for a weekend and and we watched Masters of the Universe and we were all drinking and every time the troll character came on we had to take a shot that <laughs> troll character game. was in that whole movie <laughs> so, and we were so, you had, so like, alcohol, smashed you had like alcohol poison by the time the movie was over right oh i was i was done in you know did you ever uh, get into and what was it like was it courtney cox in that i think so yeah yeah did, did she's you young courtney the original a cox Zach, did you ever get into the original um, Eastman and Laird run? Like, with the original incarnation that was meant as like a parody of Frank Miller's Daredevil? Did you ever get into those? The original comics, the black and white? So, on in life, probably when I was a teenager. Because when I grew up, I didn't money to go buy comic books and stuff. I didn't get into comic books until probably the early 2000s. But I got into comic books i got into it and then i've read all all the back issues got right. trade paperback all that right now the idw series is pretty good like i've been reading that since it started and they just no. did the last ronin comic right. book i was gonna ask you about that. where all the one surviving bull in the future and then that series was really good as well you know, it was, I think Nickelodeon had done a series maybe five years ago that was a reimagining of the Ninja Turtles. And it was actually pretty good because my daughter, who's almost 14 now, was watching that when she was like maybe, you know, eight, eight, nine years old. And we got some of the toys from it and stuff. But I actually liked what they did with it. Of course, it went from 2D pen and ink to the 3D CGI stuff. But it, it, you know what I don't like, even though, you know, I'll call them cartoons, but animated things are... The, the style is mostly aimed at a younger audience, but I like it when they don't baby everything down and they don't like super stylize everything to look like big doe-eyed bobbleheads, which some animation can do. So I really felt like that run of the Turtles um, was pretty good. And I remember watching it with the kids. And another one I used to love watching too with my oldest daughter uh, was the um, Teen Titans run on uh, Cartoon Network. And you know the, the theme song to that, Teen Titans, you know, and all. That. So there are certain ones that even as an adult, and it, it, hope if you're lucky, you never grow up, right? That that inner child stays with you. But as you get older, if you can still enjoy modern things that you enjoyed when you were younger, and enjoy them as an adult, and don't feel like you're being talked down to or babied down to, it's really rewarding. I feel, especially if you can enjoy it with your kids. Like you say, you're you're a dad now, so to be able to share memories with your kids is great, you know. That's what I'm looking forward to. As she grows up, I'll be able to show her all the stuff that I love, what I grew up on, and hopefully she takes an interest to those things as well. And don't be disappointed if they don't every time, but there's going to be stuff, and that will last for a long time. That's how it's worked out with my kids. Is They don't like everything I like, but they do like quite a bit of it. And if you don't push it hard, if you just make sure it's always around, then they'll pick up the stuff that they want to go with and you end up having that to share. It's great. Nah. Yeah, that's how it played out with my son. And uh, make sure you play good music in the cars too, so you can give them musical culture. Like, you know, my, <laughs> my kids were listening to Lincoln Park and all kinds of stuff like that, Eminem. And, you know, so by the time they were old enough to know what music was, they already had been raised on the classics. 
<laughs> but, you know, but my son is like, you know, he enjoys Star Wars. He's not the super fan I am, but he definitely enjoys it. And uh, blasphemous as it may sound to some, his favorite Star Wars movie is Revenge of the Sith, more than the original trilogy, more than the sequel trilogy. That's the one that resonates with him since he's been a kid and it hasn't changed. You know, that's the one that can surprise you like that. Um, my son surprised me by coming in and becoming a, a very super fan of the 1960s Prisoner series. Wow. And he had just seen me watching one and he was so fascinated by the psychology of it, he couldn't figure out all the things going on and how it was going back there. And it just hooked him. And I was like, well, okay, I would have never thought that he would get into something like that. But just because it, you're exposing them to it, there'll be those kind of light bulb moments where something you don't even expect becomes this really cool shared interest. Go for it. Just play with your mic and uh, as much yeah. of it'll stick as possible. Right. I mean, you can't force anything on your kids, but you can introduce them to certain things. And, you know, you hope that some of it resonates, some of it sticks and, you know, some of it doesn't. Maybe it's not as much as you would like, but. Right. It's like you can't. Well, I'm going to say you can't. Some parents do. But rather than forcing your kids to be religious, bring them to church a few times and let them decide if they want to go to church. Right. It's kind of what my parents did. And then same thing, you know, play some good classic movies, play some awesome music. Let them know that this is there. Don't force them into it. And if they find out, yeah, this is for me, then yeah, that's 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 a bonus, right? So, um, uh, so what do you do now in your in your geekdom, Zach? What do, what do you do? Like, what do you watch? What do you do? Like, what's your guilty pleasure or your recreational habits, if you will? Right now, it's a lot of Blue's Clues and Paw Patrol, <laughs> the daughter, every night. So, uh, you know, I got her at how, how old is your How old is your, how old is your kid? Uh, she's going to be two and a half and okay. Months. Yeah. So you're not so, doing Barney and Caillou yet. I think no. we, I, went oh, but I got her a tablet for Chris and then <laughs> I'll be able to get my TV back and she can watch yeah. everything on the tablet. And, yeah. Yeah. No, right now I'm just, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you make your kids a priority and your time with your kids, you make a priority because you'll never get that time back. Just wait till you. Dude, just wait like the last the couple years. You go, Scott. Yeah, I do. Just wait until the first time when you are watching a movie with your kids and then something happens in that movie that suddenly reminds you you're not supposed to be showing this to kids. <laughs> That's happened to me quite a few times. Yeah, Airplane. So one, one, of the, um, one of the first movies I took my first daughter to was Finding Nemo. And she was... I don't remember exactly how old she was, but she was small enough where I actually... Um, pushed her in a stroller and that movie theater wasn't terribly far from where we live so I literally strolled her to the movies there it was kind of our just get out and do some stuff and we saw it and it was like our and, and if you've seen Finding Nemo you know it's very much like a father you know it's a parent story right at its core and so it was very poignant to watch it with my kid and everything but you know when she's whatever it is five years old almost everything's going over her head and before the movie's even over she's out she's just asleep but it was just kind of cool that that first movie we watched was that you know and then i then I strolled her back home she was probably sleeping when i strolled her home but um yeah i and like and, and she used to love to watch um toy story like I, before she said Mama and Dada, she probably said Woody and Buzz, you know, because we had Toy Story DVD on a constant loop all the time. Um, 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, matter of fact, when we when the Hulk movie came out, the Ang Lee Hulk movie, she's little, she's watching it with me, and I'm worried about covering her eyes because there's a scene where the big mutant Hulk dogs are like chasing the woman down, and I'm like, cover your eyes. She goes, no, Daddy, those are doggies, and she just wanted to see the dogs while we're watching the Hulk movie. So you never know what they're gonna tune into, you know. So. Mm, well, yeah, I've, I've had that experience too, where you you know you kind of misjudge things. What you think is going to scare them, they actually end up liking. And then what you think they may like, that ends up terrifying them. Like, yeah. So, yeah, that's happened to me a million times. I tried to show my son was about four or five. For some reason, I tried to show him gremlins. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, he got through. We got to the point where when they first shows uh, one of them eating that Christmas cookie on the counter and my son was having no more of that. He was like, <laughs> scream. They said, Daddy, please turn this off. Turn it off. Turn it off. So I was like, click. So... Yeah, that was that was that. And what about you, Mr. Murphy? How do you spend your free time enjoying your geekdom? You got your computers all up, your retro systems. I see yeah, a color computer um, with Dungeons and Daggerath running back there. Space yep. Quest, is that on a Tandy 1000 or is that on a Coco as well? The, the Coco 3 FPGA. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, uh, retro computers. Uh, well, they're not retro to me. I just have had them and grew up with them, and that's that was the computer I had. And um, role playing games. So, like that's what's next up is um, Cyberpunk. So that's a '80s role playing game about the, basically now is the future. <clears throat> so, right. Yeah, and for anybody listening later, when you're saying role-playing games, we're talking about the pen and paper ones, not the ones tabletop. On the yes, tabletop role-playing games. Yeah, yeah. Which not was my that was my gateway to wanting to get a home computer because I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, which was very much theater of the mind. You had somebody explaining to you where you were. You used your imagination. So when the um, text adventures came out on the home computer, to me that was like a one-player offline way to do a, a role-playing you know, thing. Again, you're using your imagination, where I'm at, what I'm doing. And so that was perfect for my 12-year-old brain at that time. Yeah, um, same here. Yeah. And I, th I think that's a little bit of a lost art. I'm not sure how many people are into the imaginative style games because we have so much. Quite a few these days. It, yeah. It's kind of surprising. It died out a bit in the 90s. Some diehards like Star Wars and the Vampire the Masquerade folks kept it going. And then come D&D 3 and New Blood owning all that content, uh, it got a resurgence and that's continuing on now. There's a whole lot of folks who are casual RPGers from time to time just because that you really in some places wouldn't expect. It's kind of nice because it was kind of winter there for a long time. Now, how is the, the popularity of Go ahead, Zach. Sorry about that. Do you think the popularity of Stranger Things is going to have a risk for tabletop games? It already has. There's a tie-in yeah. version of D&D that goes with it that has the little Demigorgon characters and stuff. And it's uh, kind of a starter intro set. So it's intended to be, you take this to your friends and you play a Stranger Things game as D&D and you're in the Stranger Things setting and story and it's a really well done starter set and the whole book is done in the style of the game books within the the story universe so it's all like hand drawn in the same art and things like that it's really cool so yeah and that's there are a lot of that have gotten in because of that tie-in 
So there was a question. Uh, well, I was going to say when you when you play with a, a group of people doing these now, is this all online and taken now for the most part? Going yeah. Forward? Well, thanks COVID. Um, yeah. I'm not a virtual tabletop type guy. Uh, I prefer to be in the room face to face, roll the dice, eat the snacks. You know, have that social. Yes. But yeah. COVID killed that for a lot of folks. And as you get older, the folks that you game hard with in school, they move on. And sometimes they end up halfway across the country. So you do end up somehow making a piece with the virtual tabletop thing. And it, it's kind of a stream call like this. Right. But people are rolling dice and you use the chat to say, here's what the roles are and things like that. So there's ways to do it. Uh, and there have become services like uh, right. Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds or any of these kinds of things where that's the whole point of the site is to enable people to connect in game that distance prevent would normally prevent that. So right. I'm not a huge fan of it. it. It does take some re-gearing and it does, you know, yeah, it's hard to teach an old DM new tricks sometimes. You know, I'm used to just looking across the table and doing my right. video, being right. able to read it. You don't get a lot of that. So you do right. have to adjust, but it gets there. So yeah, now mostly it's all virtual tabletop because that's that's easier for a lot of people to be able to adjust their schedules because you can dial in even if you couldn't have physically made it. So you do get more opportunity to play. Now, do you have any, are you, I'm taking your, your user the game master, you're running the show. Uh, yeah, I've kind of, I guess, GM for life, whether I want it or not. I'd love to play sometime. And right, I right. remember playing since, I think the last game I played was 2006. Um, uh, yeah, it's mostly GM. And it comes down to, you know, somebody has to be such a super fan or nerd of the rules and the setting and wanting to put all that stuff together. And that's what it ends up. If you're a world builder type, you end up in the GM seat just talking about all the cool stuff you imagine and hoping that folks can use that to be fun for what they're doing. Do you get as hardcore as wanting people to be in character while they play and when they announce what they're doing, they need to announce it in character and all that kind of stuff? No, I'm not a live action type person. <laughs> um, there is a type of, of, of role play like that called live action role play. Well, that's a lot. Yeah, that's the whole cosplay and everything. But I've seen even yeah. the tabletop where some dungeon masters want you to Oh yeah, if you can do the voice, do the voice. Yeah. And yeah, there are yeah. times when I'll do a voice for a particular NPC. Because I mean, I have a certain way of speaking in a horrible accent anyway, so all of my voices come out sounding like me. And that's just not gonna work most <laughs> of my NPCs. So I'll have to kind of just live with that. But uh, yeah, if you're an actor type, do it. Play it if you want to play it that way. There's other people that are complete wallflowers, and they're just one like, a, eh. and you have to kind of draw them out. But you you don't have to put the expectation. I mean, I've told people we're not doing Shakespeare tonight for a paying audience. We're having fun sharing a story. So let's just tell each other a story, and that's you can keep it to that, and then it's not it's not a pressure thing. Alan, let me ask you a question. I remember when I was a kid, role-playing games, I've never really been into them. But mm -hmm. they used to have a certain stigma, I think, in the 70s and 80s. They still do. Uh, like, well, the stigma I'm talking about is real specific. It's, uh, I know... That's like Panic, right? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of the... Yeah, Mazes and Minotaurs, the Satanic Panic, Jack Chicks, Dark Dungeons track. Those are legendary jokes for people who are fans of role-playing games and don't take that kind of um, 
conspiracy theory weirdness seriously, but it's real. I mean, those things had real impacts and I've had even even other family members say, oh no, Dungeons and Dragons is about witchcraft and, and you know, people are gonna burn. And when you know better, you know better, but you can't convince people uh, that your faith is theirs or vice versa if right. they're not willing to. Right. So well, that, me, that right. stigma exists still Just today. Just so you know, music makes people dance and dancing can lead to pregnancy. So, um. yeah. <laughs> Even though it says in the Bible that there is a time to dance, I saw that movie too. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and, you know, there's no one right answer for everybody. If tabletop or, you know, live action or board games or card games, dice games, you know, if, if those things aren't for you, don't do them. Right. But, uh, you know, for me, my parents, uh, my, well, my uncle and my mom specifically introduced me to Dungeons and Dragons in the 70s. I rolled up my first character was a fighter. And, uh, you know, because that was the easiest to play when you're, you know, I think I was seven. And you know they made room for a kid at their grown-up table, and that was cool because wait, we're all telling a story about this, and it's just stuck with me for life. And D and D, you research weird stuff, so you end up with lots of cool trivia that you would have otherwise had to pay to go to college to learn. And you get writing skills, presentation skills. There's a ton behind it, but some people don't care about any of that. They they, they have a preconceived notion from some media idea. Or their right. pastor has told them this leads to the devil. Okay, you know if you're willing to look at what it really is, you, you see that. No, when I open the spell book for D and I'm not going to be able to actually blast you with a fireball. We're pretending for story. <laughs> you know? But I, you know, it, it's a big world and room for lots of different opinions. But yeah, those stigmas exist, and we do have to work around them. Uh, at, t- at conventions and things, you you have a what they call either a session zero or a table intro where you basically lay out the ground rules. What is off the table for people? What is uh, forbidden? Where are the bounds that we shouldn't cross in this shared story? And if we start getting close, here's a mechanism where you can tap out and say, whoa, 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 we're getting off into too much witchcraft. I don't want that because of my religion. Fine. That we can play a modern game that has none of that. We can play a sci-fi future game with none of that. There's plenty of opportunity that doesn't get into those things. And yeah, obviously I'm a super fan of role-playing games. I think that they're uh, they're an amazing pastime. Zach, here's a question for you again. Uh, one I just came up with. I know when I got into um, martial arts cinema because I was into it as a kid, and then I kind of forgot about it in my teen years but then in my late teens early 20s i got back into it heavy and there used to be a store in manhattan called the 43rd chamber where they had old bootlegs they had bootleg vhs of all the old shaw brothers of all you know golden harvest all that stuff and that time it that led me sort of a segue into like the john woo stuff what they call heroic bloodshed and that kind of thing did you ever get into that or did you just stay within the martial arts no, I only got into like the John Woo and the Hong Kong action. So Hard Boiled, The Killer, all yeah. that, you know, in the line the of better tomorrow. Yeah. Better Tomorrow, all that. Those are, I'd put them in the same kind of genre, even though they're different. But right. Hong Kong cinema in general. Uh, for those who don't know, those are all, that's where the Matrix got a lot of its other tricks from, not just the martial arts, but just 
Hong Kong cinema in general, just Asian pop culture in general, just the Matrix same took as, a lot. Same a as lot of different, yes. Tarantino with Kill Bill, and yeah, yes. you know, you yeah. get yeah. Gordon yeah. Liu in Kill Bill, you get Sonny Chiba in Kill Bill. Yeah. So, I was Just it, it, that thing is like kind of a Japanese Dirty Harry, but just way crazier. Just I suggest anybody give that a look. Shout Selectus came out with a Blu-ray box set of seven Sonny Chiba movies. I have uh, that in the mail right now, so it's not like Yakuza uh, Wolf, and so I'm looking forward to getting into that when it comes in. And then next week I have Volume Two coming in. So. Uh, Okay. I got volume one last year for a for a birthday present. So yeah, oh. yeah, it was a very very well made set volume one. So I'm looking forward to volume two. And when I was a kid, um, Channel 26 Fox station in Houston on Saturday afternoon would run every cheap martial arts movie they could steal from somewhere right. uh, east. And I saw like five furious fingers of death and you know, crazy stuff like that. Loved it, loved it. And that got me to things like Chuck Norris movies and Lone Wolf McQuaid and the Octagon and all that weird 80s martial arts type American stuff. And yeah, I'm gonna say it. Oh yeah, all those crazy things. Long before the kind of the origin became popular in the U.S., there were people making U.S.ified versions of right. that. Stuff. You know, I mean, Bruce Lee and his impact was global, and there were all these splinters that came out of his movie making uh, endeavors, and then now they've kind of joined all back up where you know, everybody has now been able to reach across the different waters and find each of those particular pools and go, yeah, but this is cool too. And, oh, I like what you're doing. And it all does blend back in. And it's great to see that now you've got that kind of almost a global view of that where you get different kinds that keep it interesting enough. So, and oh, yeah, bring it on. And it's important to say that like what you're talking about now the internet is what makes all of that possible because you know not streaming services the time that we're talking about like yeah the 80s and the 90s like you didn't have that you had to go seek this stuff out physically if you if you if you weren't lucky enough to live in a big city like new york la the bay area or houston or houston that stuff wasn't readily available everywhere you, you know it was very hard to find you had to actively look for it physically look yeah, and for you it. could only get little reflections that gave you the idea there was so much more out there but you couldn't quite get your hands on it right and then once you got See, online getting the lists woo. well and 99 like that's when the internet at home so i was yes. downloading stuff off of now <laughs> Kung Fu movies that way over dial up. So it would take me three days to download one Kung Fu movie, but I'd have a blast. Wow. You, you know, you it's had it. worth it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, Rowdy just joined us. Hey, the drive-in movie on Fox on a Saturday afternoon classic. Oh yeah, it's uh, what Rowdy is talking about is, you know, like everywhere kind of had this, but in New York on Channel Five there was a thing called the drive-in movie. They used this, this um, audio from I think it was Greece. There was a part I think where they went to a drive-in movie and they used that audio as the intro every week for like, and they would just show five deadly venoms. Uh, 36 Chambers of Shaolin, all the time. Like a samurai yeah. theater is what it was called on some of the right. B yeah. stations in South Florida, yeah. Yeah, so, every, every area yeah, had their own yeah. version. Like we had Creature Feature that showed old monster and sci-fi movies. We had Samurai Theater that would show some, you know, martial arts style movies and things like that, yeah. It was usually on a UHF channel. It wasn't on one of your three major networks like your ABC, NBC, CBS. It was on a UHF channel, local station, just providing kind of, you know, you had to get that, you had that dial just in to get the picture the least fuzziest yep. possible to be able to watch that. Absolutely. That was really good. See, old, good old days. A, a lot of the movies we were growing up watching too, they were all cut and English dubbed. Yes. But now, yeah. now yeah. these now these boutique labels in the last few years, like Criterion, Arrow, eighty-eight films, they're all all releasing the uncut versions the with versions. proper English and their subtitles, and now it's right. just like rewatching these movies in a whole different right. way. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, I do find watching the dub movies to be distracting just because the dialogue doesn't match the mouth and the voice doesn't seem to match the character either. So it just kind of takes you out of the whole thing. I'd much rather hear it in the native language and read the subtitles and at least get and, the proper inflections in the performance. And, and, all and the you missed the mystery. There was a mystery because, like, I watched Gunhead, which is a Godzilla movie without Godzilla in it. Yeah. And the version of Gunhead that originally got brought over from Japan uh, had people that spoke English dialogue, and it had people who spoke in Japanese, and no subtitles or dubs. So all you had to work with was how much Japanese you knew or the English part. So for many years, and I had watched it enough to figure out what was going on, but at first, you're lost. You know, Akira, when it first came over, there was no dub or sub. You know, somebody went to Japan, went, oh, my gosh, you should see this laser disc and plug it in. And we're like, what is going on? I don't know, but this is so cool. You know, and uh, in Houston, there was a group called Anime NASA, which I lucked into at one point. And they were going over and bringing over those laser discs and watching them at NASA for the fun of it on the big screen. And um, they turned out to be the guys who formed AD Vision later, which did a lot of anime import in the 90s and dub and sub. And they brought in voice actors to do to start making that transition. And uh, I think they're gone now, but they, they did leave a bit of a legacy with bringing over some pretty amazing stuff that had never been seen in the U.S. and making it accessible. And now you see that happening with the martial arts movies, too. You know, like, uh, what was the one? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was a huge example of that. You know, it was a whole thing on its own. And then, oh, wait, because of the Matrix, Wirefu is awesome. And now all of a sudden everyone knows that. Let's get some more. But but wait, we're bringing it to America. Let's make it accessible to crazy Americans with short attention spans. Okay, let's do that. And, and we all win anyway. More. Bring it. See one show in recent years, and I find get enough love. 
Yeah. So one show in recent again? years I feel doesn't get enough love is Warrior on Cinemax, HBO. I saw the first. It's the writings first. of Bruce Lee. Yeah. It's, it's good so show. good. Like both seasons have been great, and I'm looking forward to the third season coming out next year. And another thing I'm right. looking forward to, they announced uh, a Gamera anime for Netflix. So that was, should be. There was a trilogy cool. of Gamera movies back in I think the '90s. That's very famous, and very well respected. I can't remember what the name of the trilogy is, but it's like it was like three films back to back. I have I have the Arrow box sets of all the Gamera films, and they're the trilogy in the '90s. It's better than Godzilla movies in the 90s. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Yes. Oh. Oh. Uh, we don't talk about that 90s Godzilla movie that was so bad. Toho had to say, well, we're going to bring Godzilla 2000 and show you how to do it again because you lost your way. No. You're talking about the Matthew Broderick breakout? You said it. Yes. That's it was life-changing. I was going to mention, I was going to ask you guys, what movie literally changed your life? And for me, it was that movie. It was Godzilla 97 with Matthew Broderick. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> what did it change your life to? <laughs> oh, my God. No, 2001 yeah. A Space Odyssey. That was my life-changing movie. Um, my my bad. And the Planet of the Apes remake with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> that was, I mean, honestly, it was halfway decent for what they did with it. Uh, incredible, uh, incredible makeup effects. And oh, yeah. makeup and performance. Tim Hopton was great. Well, Rick, Rick, Baker, Rick Baker did the makeup effects. Yes, he did. Yeah. I'm trying to think what my life-changing movie would be. I don't know if there's just one. I mean, I had so many when I was very small. Chief among them, Star Wars, Tron, and Superman. Those three, I think, were... All three good. Yeah, life-changing movies for me. Tron, yeah. definitely... Fun. I wouldn't say it was life changing for me because I already had a computer at that time, and that, that was kind of what the inside of my head already looked like. But uh, yeah, 2001 was the first sci fi yeah. movie I ever saw, and it was on a little black and white 13 inch TV, all fuzzy broadcast from Houston when I lived in way down in South Texas, and it blew my mind. And the next summer, the original Star Wars came out, so there I had no hope at that point. When the new hope, right. I was. Lost. If I had to pick one movie that was literally life changing, it was the first Star Wars movie. Because before that, again, I mentioned as a kid, I had seen the moon landing and the rocket launches. I had watched Star Trek on television. I had watched cartoons. Um, but everything was confined to a 13 to 19 inch screen that may or may not have had color. And to see such a big epic space fantasy at a drive-in movie theater on a larger than life screen, on a larger than life story and being about nine years old, and just being a literal lifelong space cadet for the first nine years of my life. That movie spoke to me in a way that has resonated ever since. And unfortunately, it set the bar so high on what I expect a movie to be. I'm usually disappointed by most other movies because they're not Star Wars, you know, so. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, well, nothing ever meets the expectations of what you're exposed to when you're very young. It's like right. everything is downhill. From, with a few rare exceptions, everything is downhill from that. You know, we, you can't have that experience more than once. You can only have that experience once. Right. So, but yeah, for me, it's the, well, actually, you know, the Holy Quadrilogy would be Star Wars, Tron, Superman, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. There we go. Yeah, and Tron spoke to me. It didn't change my life, but it 
almost validated my life at that time because it was everything that I was into. It was about video games, which I was into. It was about computer programming. I was programming, even though I was programming in basic on a 8-bit home computer. I was a video game player and a computer programmer. And then it took all that and it put you inside the computer where you were playing video games in real life for life and death situations. It was like, oh my God, can can there be any more nerdgasm-y in any single, in any single movie at this time? No, it just validated the uber nerd I was in 1981 or two whenever that movie came out. So Blade Runner and um, Wrath of Khan, same year. I mean, 82 was a great year for science fiction. Definitely. And one thing I'd like to mention, just this isn't something that I think really gets mentioned in the geek out conversations, but it's definitely something you can geek out to, but in a different way. Um, those are the black exploitation films of the 70s. Because if you if you're into martial arts cinema, which really became a thing in the '70s with Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon, if you've seen Shaft, if you've seen Foxy Brown, if you've seen Coffee, if you've seen Superfly, if you've seen The Mac, if you've seen Hitman, if you've seen, I can go all day long with these lists. We need to do a marathon. We need to get a different. Yeah. Just watch right. some of these. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, the Jim, the Jim Kelly black exploitation yeah. movies. Yes. And- those, those were some of the first action films, period. And those, they came along right when the when the um, when the martial arts craze happened because Hollywood realized that Bruce Lee was very, very popular with black audiences in particular. So they began to incorporate that stuff. But these those movies are just wild, and they're B movies. But at the same time, you'd be surprised how actually fun some of them are and, and have the rewatch value and even the influence that they have on later the way that the way that heroes were introduced if you look at Shaft, the first the title sequence when he's just walking through Times Square is the best introduction for a hero you will probably yeah. see in any movie with the Isaac Hayes music in the background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean you knew that this was larger than life two steps in. Yes. Oh, here we go. Yeah. yeah. Buckle up. It's about to be a ride. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, you see the influence of that definitely uh, in Blade. And that was actually oh, something yeah. con- consciously that Wesley Snipes and uh, a director by the name of Ernest Dickerson, who was Spike Lee's cameraman, who went on to direct episodes of The Wire. He directed Tupac's first movie, Juice. They developed that project. They said, we want this to sort of be like a superhero comic book version of Shaft. Well, and that stuff inspired Tarantino too. Yes, very, very much, very much. Uh, and look what we've gotten out of all of that. I mean, the, the legacy is amazing. And yes. it, it's a very strong legacy. That's the weird part is that you don't hear much about it, but it's a very strong current through so much stuff that came right. after. Oh, yeah. it, got, it got absorbed into the tapestry, just you know, um, and also speaking of Tarantino, his my I'm a big fan of his. I know that's kind of controversial to say in some circles, but my favorite movie of his happens to be his version of a black exploitation movie, and that's Jackie Brown. And it's basically a love letter to Pam Greer, who was like the queen of black exploitation, and yeah. it's. It's just really an amazing movie. On it. It's not just because she's in it and not just because it's a tribute to a subgenre, but it's just an amazing movie on its own. And it really showcases, it gives her the best showcase imaginable. But yeah, like Alan said. Always put Jackie Brown 
at top. You know? Yes. <laughs> Everybody else, you know, they're saying Pulp Fiction. Right. Red Dogs. I've always said Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. That's, that's, uh, but. You got me wanting to see it. You're here. Yeah. I'm going to go uh, put me well, down for that. Yes. I don't know if you see Roddy's comment over here. We're talking about Warrior is made by the creators of Banshee. That was also an HBO Cinemax show. Ask Scott about his feelings. On Banshee, LOL. He's, he's saying that because on my old on my old show, Scott's go. Oh, uh, Alan, uh, you don't want. <laughs> is there something you're trying to miss? <laughs> just in case it's about to be an explosion, I'm getting ready. Oh, yeah. uh, not an explosion, it's just a uh, Banshee. It's actually a pretty good show. I only saw the first season of it. We discussed it on my old show, Scott's go, like ten years ago. It must have been now. Uh, and there was just a whole period of this, this whole episode that took place in a prison with this character named the albino and uh, it just it dealt with some very rough things that prison movies and shows usually deal with and then things that i don't tend to find all that pleasant to watch not just because i used to be a correction officer but rowdy found that very amusing because he still <laughs> finds that <laughs> he still finds that very amusing very amusing now um, but, no but that, that, honestly no that was a pretty good show i never did i, I didn't watch it to its completion but i bought that first season on blu-ray and it was it was kind of a precursor to that was around when the raid movies came out and i know that i'm pretty sure zach is familiar with the raid films i tried to bring steve into the fold didn't really work out all that well i couldn't i i tried watching it i found it to be basically unwatchable <laughs> um but um well, if you've seen the Judge Dredd movie that came out around the same time, yes. you've basically seen the raid. Raid, yes. Okay. I don't know why, but for a movie that had lots of violence and guns and action, you would think that you can't screw that up. And somehow, in my opinion, they just did because they were, including guns and violence and action, I still found the movie damn near impossible to watch. So I don't know why I just could not get into it. And I like guns and violence and action. Well, the rain is there a Steve's plane version somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> See, I think it might be because of the grittiness, maybe, of the first one. Yeah, when you say gritty, that's a polite word of saying underwhelming performances. But if you can watch the sequel. Alan, just to explain to you, Alan, um, about, was it 2011? It's an Indonesian film called The Raid. It's considered like one of the landmark action movies to come out like in the last 15 years or so. It's, but it's ultra violent. Like even for even for today's by today's standards, it's exceptionally violent. It's not suited for all tastes. I kind of and sometimes I forget that because I love it, so I show it to other people. But it's just if you if you see it, it's like Steve is right. Some of the acting is a little rough. All of the acting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if we can call it acting, <laughs> that, that sounds like a movie watch party ready to happen. Yeah. Marquee. But yeah. it's, let's, it's, let's play dress up and get in front of a camera and, and try really hard to not be authentic. But, <laughs> but, but in terms of the action and the violence, it almost plays more like a horror film than it does an action movie. Uh, it's very intense. It all takes place in one location. The second film is more of a crime epic. The second film is more like The Godfather. But um, yeah, Banshee came out around that same He's time. He's making it sound a hell of a lot better than it plays out on your television set. I can tell you that myself. But uh, yeah, Banshee came out around that Listen same time. Listen to his description of the movie and you won't be disappointed. 
Dude, with the popularity, with the popularity of the raid, we got other films after with yes. some of the same actors, like like the night comes for they us, were, stuff on the, Netflix. And well, two of the, the the actor that played Mad Dog in the raid, or a couple of them, they were in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. They didn't do any martial arts, but they were in Star Wars: The Force just because they knew a lot of Star Wars fans probably knew about the raid, but. That, around that time, that was when the, the Netflix Daredevil came on that had some similar choreography to the raid in terms of a lot of closed quarters fighting and buildings and hallways. Like and a long, continuous shoot type stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, that that sort of thing. So, but no, if you, if you like that stuff, you'll probably like Manchi. If you're, if you're into that sort of thing. But again, that stuff is a very... It, not everybody's into it. I'll put it that way. Not everybody's into it. And, and every few years we get these like new that we think we're gonna be stars but then they kind yes. of fizzle out right so like after Jackie Chan we had Jet Li Jet Li was big for a long time then we had Tony Jaw Tony, yes. Tony Jaw kind of fizzled out and Donnie again and then with the we got Eco Uwes I think his name but to be but fair Donnie he's Yen. not doing a whole lot to be fair to Donnie Yen, though, Donnie Yen, you know, he has a legacy that goes for decades. So, you know, yeah, in America, he kind of fizzled out, but, you know, and he's going to be in this new John Wick film, the fourth. And the so. Ip Man quadrilogy, I think there's yes. four of them. They were all great. Like, right, right, right. And yeah. he's great in Rogue One. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He, no, he was very, he was very good in Rogue One. I actually liked that character a lot. So uh, yeah, he, he, he really does carry a whole. Oh, he's the one who's the blind Jedi. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. As soon as you said that, I put two and two. And yeah. But a lot of people are looking at this John Wick four. A lot of people are looking forward to see, I, I have a lot of friends who are going to be, uh, hopping up and down angry. If he loses a fight to Keanu Reeves in that film, <laughs> a lot of, I know a lot of guys are going to be mad. My friend, I have a friend who's also named Scott. He's going to be furious if that happens. So, but yeah, no, Keanu no. Reeves is a respectable uh, action fight star. I mean, the guy puts in the work. Yeah. And John Wick was the proof, but he had been doing it long before that. Yeah, with all the Matrix stuff, he was a badass in all the Matrix films. Let's and that forget. was with a broken neck. Yeah, and let's not forget Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> yeah, oh, let's, 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 forget. Room service. Yeah, let's forget Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Awesome. You were talking about dollar theaters, you know? I used to work at dollar theater. I saw Johnny Mnemonic in a dollar theater on my day off and they had to work that night. And I remember making fun of the movie while I was watching the movie for the first time. It was that freaking bad. Uh, that's free Jack. I was doing my own mystery science theater on that movie in real time. <laughs> Keanu is interesting because Keanu will do, he'll, he'll do like five really bad movies and he'll come up with something really great that reminds you how much you like him. And right. Five well, more really bad movies. And I, then I, I think he finally got to the point where he was wise enough to be able to pick and choose what his projects versus just taking something for work. Yeah. And he just, you know, he elevated to stardom enough where he could choose his projects. But initially some of his stuff was, you know, it was, you know, what was the one, the devil's, uh, the devil's advocate or whatever, where yeah, you, with, you with the, pay your dues. No, yeah, without Pacino. Al Pacino, which was actually good. Yeah, it was good. Um, but one, one, one thought about the uh, martial arts genre, probably my last thought on it, is that, and Zach probably knows this about the genre. Uh, 
With martial arts films, it's like you always feel like you've seen everything in them. And then that's right when another wave comes in and they do something else with the fight choreography that you've never seen before, or they, you know, right. or tell stories in a way that you've never seen. Like right now, the fight stunt choreography, I mean, some of the things that these guys can do, I don't see how they don't actually, how they're not actually killing each other every time they make a movie, because some of the stuff is just, you, I couldn't have imagined it when I was a kid. You know, they're really doing some super. Oh, and they do get hurt. And Jackie Chan was really great about showing that in the end credits. Yes. Yeah. Right, right. Because oh. he was famous for doing all of his own stunts. And then yeah. in the end credits, you see how bad it went for him several times. And, right. you know, I, and I thought that was a great way to say, yeah, don't do this and hurt yourself. You know, no, this is supposed to be fantasy. And right, this is, right. Like, and you spent their life preparing to do it so and many actors have gotten broken ribs or bones or bruised or sprained like you know uh, what's his face um, rocky uh stallone i think got some broken ribs on rocky three but he said i want this to look real hit me don't pull, don't hold, don't pull a, your punches and he got a neck injury in the fourth yeah, one so, from Dolph Lundgren. um yeah so i think wanting to get as authentic performance on camera as possible because it is kind of hard when especially in like something like boxing it's hard to stunt double that. You know, a lot of things when you got somebody on a motorcycle and it's a wide shot and they're wearing a helmet, you can kind of get away with it. But when it's up close and it's hand-to-hand combat, it's really hard to stunt double that unless you're, everything's from the neck down and you cut back and forth, which is, it's obvious that it's being cut at that point. Um, so, you know, props to taking one for the team, but yeah. <laughs> and also, Bob, Bob, we've got Alan here because he- Yeah, just Alan went. is short on time, right? You, almost, you gotta go soon, Alan? Oh, no, I'm good so far, yeah. Okay, we're at the hour mark, so. Okay, uh, before we started recording, Alan had some, I would say, very choice thoughts on the upcoming Avatar sequels that I thought were kind of amusing, and our listeners may agree. Alan, if you'd be so kind. <laughs> okay, so you want me to talk about Avatar? All right. Um, so, did we need Avatar? No. Was it a technical achievement? Yeah. Um, did it make my daughter cry when they burned the tree down? Spoiler alert. Yeah. Am I mad about that? Yeah. But really, uh, Avatar was Dances with Wolves, uh, the cartoon version, I think. And I'd already seen Dances with Wolves, the live action. So it kind of seemed to be going backwards. And then now we're going to have another, what, 20, 200, 500 of them. I don't know. Some amazingly large number of what i mean please do something new because avatar itself looks great less oh, filling I, I have james cameron on the line here yeah yeah no. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry mr cameron for no. everything that alan said no, uh, <laughs> his, his thoughts are not the thoughts of culture <laughs> yeah yeah oh no it's they are my own you're welcome um, to run them no, I kind of thought the same thing when I saw the first Avatar. Yes, it is Dances with Wolves. Yes, it is Fish Out of Water. Yes, it is obvious that the guy who's supposed to infiltrate the uh, indigenous thing is going to become enamored with them and join their cause. All of that was telegraphed very early on. But was it still a unique form of visual presentation style? Absolutely. This one got... Yeah, this the one technical started, achievement yeah. is mind-blowing. And this one started... This, this is what started the renaissance of seeing movies in 3D. 
This movie yeah, Ridley Scott got jealous and had to do his yeah. own in 3D to try to catch up. It was amazing. Yeah. But was was there anything new storytelling wise? No, but just, it's really hard to come up with a new story. But so and, what are we doing now? We have Avatar: The Next Generation underwater. Um, well, and gee, didn't we do that with the Abyss? I mean, I thought he learned his lesson on underwater with Abyss and Titanic and stuff. But I mean, he's got a submarine; he can make the movie. That's great. Uh, it's what's the story going to be? And I didn't care about the characters anyway. I mean, really, I don't care. See, even, when this is a whole new generation. So yeah, it's, and so, it's so even less I care about. <laughs> I can be, I can be wrong, and that's fine. I may watch it at some point, but I'm not going to go out of my way. And I don't want my opinion to influence anyone else. I don't like critics who haven't done it or haven't haven't even seen it yet making an opinion. That's what I'm doing. I didn't make my own Avatar movie better, and I haven't seen the one that there is to be offered. So I can be completely wrong, and that's fine. But it's got a lot going against it because it's a sequel to something that was already done. And See, then there's going to be Avatar 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. I think IMDb when, has it up to 8 right now. Really? <laughs> you haven't even figured out how to do the second one, and you've already laid, laid out sequelitis from heck. I, this is to sell toys, and good luck for them. You know, I mean, that's the one thing that they didn't do that that Lucas had done with Star Wars. That's all he had left was toys. So, you know, Cameron, has. there's one piece that he's missed, and that's the toy sales. And maybe with Avatar, he can get that, too, and he can close out his book of, I've achieved everything everyone else did. Great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, we should have started with permission uh, to speak freely. Alan, you did not disappoint. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to hear <laughs> from you. I will say this, just to bookend what you're saying, I will say, or not, to piggy, piggyback rather, not bookend. Oh, there's one thing I'm interested in with this new Avatar movie, and that's this. Since I've been a kid, Cameron has constantly been in this position. I remember when T2 came out, and I remember watching CNN back in the spring of 91, and they were saying this is an R-rated action film that costs $100 million, the most expensive film ever. There's no way this is going to make that money back. And then it made the money back. Yeah, and then it blew it out of the yeah. water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, and then Titanic, the same thing. I remember that was originally supposed to be in summer of 97. I remember going to a movie theater in the Bronx, and they had, like, the big cups that said Collide with Destiny. It got delayed until the winter. And then I remember people saying this thing was going to flop. The first weekend numbers came in. They said it was going to flop, and then, but it just held every That's week. underestimating Cameron. Yeah. And then same thing with Avatar. People thought it was going to be a flop. It was the, the most expensive thing ever. I'm wondering. I'm curious to see if he's gonna if he's gonna do that again. Can he do magic again? Certainly. I mean, this is James Cameron, and this guy has been driven to the things he's been driven to since day one. I mean, Terminator was a drive thing. That guy had nightmares, and he made a fortune out of them. All right, Aliens was well. Okay, I guess I could try that job, and I think I got something I can repurpose for that. I just scratch out that character name, put in Ripley. Okay, and then. Well, everything I've ever learned about directing, I'm going to throw it in here and I'm going to just bl blast it. And who knew who he was at that time? Terminator hadn't even come out yet and he was already on Aliens. Really? Yeah, the guy can do some amazing directing and he can do some amazing design and some amazing story. And those will be the things that if I see more avatars, that's what I'm going to pull out of it. Hey, look, this is a really good directorial technique. Oh, this is what, you know, so there's master classes that are probably being written right now. 
that will become parts of that movie. But overall, am I going to knock myself out to be camp out in front of the theater for a week just to get the first best seat? No, I ain't going to do it. I'll, you know, I'll stream it. I'll get it on disc. I'll enjoy it long because I have Avatar on the shelf too. You know, I don't watch it that often, but sometimes it's just time to. But, you know, the guy can do it. And I don't doubt that if he really puts his passion to it, he will. Everything he's ever put his passion to before has turned out amazing despite the difficulties. Titanic was one of his life projects. If you go back to his very first interviews on camera, there's a little tiny model Titanic ship behind him on the desk. He was thinking about it before Terminator, as far as I can tell. So that when he gets that passion thing going, get out of the way. You don't know what you're going to get. but And, and it's going to be horrible. I mean, if you listen to what he went through with Aliens... It was a fight every single day to the point where they nearly just shut the movie down and walked away. Right? Crew, yeah. Yeah. But, and then look what you get, you know, just because the guy can do it. And I have no doubt that if he wants it, he can do that again. You know, do I consider it lightning striking again? Not really. Not my speed of movie. I saw Dances with Wolves. I don't like the very obvious morality tale and, hey, look, it's the Native Americans versus the uh, army again. No, no, no. I mean, that's been done. So See, my version my... of that would have been Fern Gully, the animated movie in the 90s. <laughs> so. I think there were jokes about that when it came out. I think people were calling it like Fern It's Gully. basically it's the like same the, uh, movie. The original Fast and Furious was Point Break with Parks. Yes. You know, it's just the same thing. <laughs> so it's just, yeah. the, you know, Johnny Utah, right? And, yeah. yeah. I am an FBI agent. <laughs> and you know, and, and good for you, James. If you do watch this, I, I love much of the stuff that you've done. And I know that you've been quoted of saying, I don't care if there was a star out of place in Titanic, I made my billion. You know, good for you, sir. Salute and thank you for the entertainment so far. Yeah. So long and thanks for the fish. I paid for my ticket so that I get to have an opinion. <laughs> right. You should try to become an extra for Avatar 3 just to see no. if you could slip in there. No. My <laughs> uncle worked in movies for decades and uh, recently retired. And the behind the scenes stuff that I've heard from the movie industry as part of that, I don't need to be anywhere near it. Thank you very much. Oh, my cousin, my cousin, Eric Anderson, who just logged into the chat, says Avatar was Pocahontas starring the Smurfs for me. <laughs> Pocahontas <laughs> starring the Smurfs. Okay. Nailed it. All right. Um, to each her own. I, I watched it. I found it an entertaining movie to watch, but I also found it to be very predictable and very temp- formula. formula. Heavy-handed. Whatever it is, right? Formulaic or I'm an odd man out here because I remember I actually okay, this is gonna be crazy. I saw that in the movies four times when it came out. Just the, the just to me for me the sensory loser <laughs> the, sens- <laughs> the sensory input. I mean, was, no, yeah, absolutely. The three D, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean the story, yeah, visually, cinematography wise, it was a master. The three D done right, the world building of Pandora done right. Look at yeah. all those plants and animals and stuff. And you know, yeah. he sat there and went, "This is what's in my head. Make more of that on the screen." Right, and yeah. the whole the whole symbiotic organic relationship and interfacing between. But the, the indigenous with the plants and animals and everything that was cool but it was also a weird experience because when it came out on um blu-ray and dvd 
I bought, I think it was a like five, six disc uh, special edition. It's like basically everything you want about Avatar ever in life in this package. And I watched it on a home theater at my house and it just, it didn't have the same impact as when you're watching it. And I've never watched, that was maybe about 10 years ago. I've never watched yeah, it. The new Dune is like that. It, it, it deserves IMAX. And if you don't like the new Dune and you didn't see it on IMAX, that might be the problem. Right. Put it on, right. put, put on IMAX and just buckle up. Well, just, just so you know, that TV I have out in your living room, that's 3D. And I, and I actually have a small collection of 3D movies. And, I, and my TV uses the glasses you get from the movie theater, so it's just the cheap glasses. But I actually think I have Avatar in 3D. It's probably in the attic at this point now, but I was when 3D was the flavor of the week, I was all eating up every 3D Blu-ray I could get. One, one, one recent movie I was afraid of that happening to, but it didn't, thankfully, because I watched it on Blu-ray, uh, Top Gun Maverick, anybody who hasn't seen that. That movie, I mean, in terms of blockbuster filmmaking, that's the the best aerial photography, dogfight photography, cinematography I have ever seen in anything ever. It's like Earthbound Star Wars. I don't, I don't even, I don't know how they pulled it off. I don't know. Well, there's going to be models, CG, and sauce, and aerial photography too. I'm sure there's well, well, actual real aerial photography. Some of those shots, some of those shots are actually the actors in the cockpit as the planes are flying. Um, I don't, I'm not sure the ratio. I'm not sure how much of it. But yeah, there are in trainer aircraft, you can do that. They did that yeah. in the first one too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Put them there because it helps the actors if they're there. Right. You know, whole, you know, vacuum packed green screen cinema that doesn't work well because you get very flat performances from the people by just not coloring them green. Uh, okay. You know, when you actually put a prop at them and, and give them something to, to work with, they respond. So, and, and I, you know, thank you ADI for that because I hadn't really paid a lot of attention to that until the guys who do the, the aliens for the, the more recent movies said, you know, we, we would rather do it in camera. And then you go back and, and John Carpenter and James Cameron and Ridley Scott, you hear them all say, it, do it in camera. And that means you got to put the actor there in the thing for them to be able to act. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Alan, I think you're, me and you are probably on the same page uh, in terms of, I'm not necessarily that thrilled with the way James Cameron's career has gone. Well, I'm sure he is. I hope he is. <laughs> you know, and I, I, you know, for me, it, the 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 stuff that really worked the best was either he was designing, or it was when he was designing with Ron Cobb. So those, I think, are some of the most imaginative. That would be Aliens and The Abyss. All right, The Abyss is such a great piece of science fiction yeah. with an I could go to sleep ending. I don't care about the ending, but the acting is great. And the uh, the design is amazing. You're you you're just as much underwater as you would have ever been in space. Because Close wow. Encounters underwater, basically. Yeah, and it, well, yeah, and I, Close Encounters is another one of those snoozy yes. that has an amazing effect at the end. Oh yeah, thank you, Douglas Trumbull. But um, you know, Cameron, you have to like the action roller coaster movie to start with, and when he gets out of that, it starts to get hit or miss a little. But it's always going to be well-crafted. There's never... I can't think of any scene I've seen James Cameron do on a screen that isn't well-crafted. Whatever the, the the hassle was to get it there. He's got the eye. 
just like Ridley Scott and you know David Fincher and those guys. He's got the eye, no question. But is it really in his wheelhouse or not? And sometimes that's more pass than than go. Well, okay, you know. But when he when he's really cooking with a team that is as that's able to step up to his level of vision and creativity and drive, then you yeah, you just hang on. And Aliens was really the first. Well, no, let me back up. Terminator was really that. You know, Stan Winston could keep up, and you know Ron Cobb was able to keep up uh, later. So yeah, when they can keep up, yeah, it's going to be great. So and and maybe if he gets the team around him that isn't just yes men, because he is who he is. If he gets people to go, no, please rewrite that because it sounds stupid. <laughs> you know, as a fan, I think that's horrible. Please don't. And he listens to that, then great. You know, that's where Lucas went wrong with the prequel trilogy. Is he just this is the word? You will follow the word. And there wasn't anyone around him, and you see it in the interviews. Even the producers paying for the movies. Oh, whatever you want, George, whatever you want. And that's not how creativity really works well. There has to be some conflict. There has to be some pain. There has to be some anger that gets you that blood boiling enough to push past whatever the obstacles are and still go for what you want. And if they can do that for Avatar, more power to them. I'd love to see it personally. Bring bring something that really pushes hard rather than, yeah, I directed this from my couch with 73 screens in 3D and everybody brought me coffee and told me that everything I was doing was awesome. Yeah, that movie, I'm going to sleep before the end of it. We've already seen that. All right, well, did he answer your question? Yes, he did. Quite a few that didn't ask. Don't get Alan started. No, that's awesome, though. But it's good to have some. Oh, I thought yeah, that's I mean, why I got the link. That's right. Being a, being a super fan means being super passionate about things. And sometimes passion for things can run hot and cold. Yes. Passion runs hot and cold. Man- he even managed to throw shade at George Lucas in there. So let's hear the George <laughs> yes, Lucas. Yes, yeah. that guy for toys and movies and books and movies and books. And yeah, you know, I can have an opinion. I paid for the ticket. Right. No, I agree. I my share. <laughs> I Honestly, all jokes aside, I really agree with that sentiment. Um, you know, I've had people, even in some of my reviews, people were telling me, well, you've never made a movie before. How do you know what you're talking about? Look, I, I paid, yeah, I pay to see these things. Not only do I pay to see these things, but these things don't get made unless Hollywood thinks that you will pay for them. That's the whole point. They're, a lot of these things don't exist for the sake of art or posterity. They exist for commerce. They, you know, the, the reason that Marvel is this big powerhouse now is not because Disney said, "Hey, superhero comics are amazing, an amazing art form." Let's let's spend a bunch of money paying tribute to that art form by adapting these comics. No. They were, they were short on young boys in terms of the marketplace. They didn't know how to appeal to young boys, so they bought Star Wars, they bought Marvel, and they decided to mass produce movies and television mm-hmm. shows. And I have no problem with that. But yeah, if I pay for these things, I'm going to say what I think. Yeah, well, they had be- Disney princesses, and now they've got Disney princess xenomorphs. Before, you, right, right. Before you have to go, Scott. I mean, not Scott, but um, Alan. And I'm not sure when that is. Scott, you had something you wanted to show oh, us yes. that I think we're going to do something real quick here because we're going to get to the uh, show and tell round of of the program, and um, 
Let's let Scott Wilson show something off that he, that he thinks that Alan will be of interest in. This is an Alan, if you could help me with the name. Oh, yeah, the M41A Colts rifle. Make sure you get it on camera. The aliens. This is the version that <laughs> I think Hasbro and Nerf teamed up to make. Uh, the color scheme is way different than it is in the movies. And the okay, movies. and Alan has got his up too. So let's let's uh, let me uh, let me uh, change that a little bit here. Let's yeah, go over. You'll, here. you'll be able to see this if you're watching this on Facebook. Not so much if you're listening on listening to it in podcast form afterwards. So here is uh, here's Alan's version of that gun. So Alan has the same gun. Yeah. So it's got a little bit of everything. It's got the, uh, the thing on the bottom where you can slap in the uh, yep. the cartridge. Oh, that, it's yep. got the counter here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is too much. Yeah, but pre-ordered. Had to. But it's pretty. Cool. And my guys at work, you know, it's coming. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> It's coming for you. Um, again, you guys won't be able to see this so much because I, I don't want to do anything to Steve's screen over here, so I'll just fire it against the wall there. <laughs> Holy crap, that thing fired. <laughs> it has the and the accelerator. And uh, Scott, what you want to do is take out the little weak battery that's in it. Um, there are plans for how you change that out for LiPo batteries that will really give it some kick. Okay. All right. And there you go. Upgrades. It's and, got some upgrades. And now I'm going to have to find all my darts. Yeah. Right. No, no. Boys <laughs> in there. Quick, so I do. I also have one thing to show real quick. And this actually, my wife picked it up, but I. But we both are a fan of this. But my wife collects shot glasses, and when we were at Walmart the other day, she ended up finding an Assassin's Creed logo shot glass and since we both are fans of the assassin's creed games and we play them um i thought that was kind of cool just to get a generic clear shot glass with that kind of assassin's creed logo on it do you really feel safe drinking from a shot glass labeled assassins (laughs) well luckily she just collects them and we don't drink out of them oh okay uh, yeah yeah so keep it uh, safe keep it on the shelf yeah so that was my acquisition for the week my 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 geek pickup not uh, that in my black panther shirt that I got after I saw the movie. Um, uh, 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 Nick, ha- or Zach, Zach, I'm sorry. Zach, have you seen Black Panther yet? Wakanda Forever? I have not, no. Okay. Have you seen Black Adam? I have not yet. Either. Okay. So, uh, being a father. I'm being okay, a father. okay with spoilers. I'm not, okay. I'm not. Well, because last year, we've already spoken, we, we've already talked about those, but I was just curious if you had seen either one. Um, had did you have any thoughts on you know your thoughts on the movie after seeing it? But when that time comes, um, feel free if you want to join us again to give us your two cents on that. Um, yeah, matter of fact, my big achievement this week when I did play Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is the one I'm playing now, the Viking one, I was able to get enough opals to buy from the trader. I got a celestial unicorn skin from my mount, so I've got the gayest horse that you can ride in a video game now. It's the kind of 3D purple sparkly, and it leaves little trails of, of sparkle dust behind it when you run. So it's so, so this is Deckard's unicorn. Is that what I'm hearing? Is it what now? Deckard's unicorn. Deckard's unicorn. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But you know, but, but it's kind of cool because the whole body is like hollow and 3D looking. But you know how they do the celestial designs where it's like the stars and they connect the dots with the stars? So you can see inside the body, the celestial bright dots with the little connecting lines. So it looks like a three-dimensional model of a horse with a 
glowing purple horse skin wrapped around that. So it actually kind of cool, but the fact that it's a purple unicorn with stardust does kind of lower the man scale on it. Just a so, shade or two. <laughs> he admits he's a brony on yeah, air. Sure. Awesome. <laughs> Sparkle princess, what is it? Well, yeah, it's, it's a celestial unicorn skin for your oh, okay. And it took 150 opals to buy him from the trader. So a lot of uh, resource gathering was required to get that proud purchase. <laughs> well, friendship is magic, Steve. <laughs> Are any uh, of you so guys a fan of uh, Fallout series? You know, I'm not that. F I have the games on Steam and on the Xbox. I haven't really played them, but I know there's a Netflix series coming out, right? Uh. Think Amazon, Amazon, or Amazon. Prime. Somebody's coming out with a live yeah. action series on it. I, yeah, yeah I know I'm looking forward Bethesda. to that series. Yeah, I have it. I haven't really played it that much. I know it's from Bethesda, who makes Skyrim, and I'm a pretty big fan of Skyrim. Um, I know it's dealing with kind of like a post-apocalyptic time frame, and yeah. you know, kind of after the nuke and how you deal with things, which I think is a really cool genre. A very sarcastic sense of there was running underneath it. Okay. It, yeah, it's there was amazing. It's a series. There was a series about 15 years ago called Jericho. Jericho. And it was about the 20, 23 major cities got nuked and the math of people trying to survive. It was very Fallout style, but in the early days. So tabletop role playing news. Uh, Modifius, the company, has released a, a really well done. Fallout tabletop RPG with lots of uh, really fun add-ons to it. And there is an outfit uh, from Europe called Free League that has a game that goes back to the 80s called Mutant Year Zero that works very well with Fallout stuff. So, uh, yeah. Get your how do you rebuild Mad Max after the nuke viruses, spacecraft falling on Earth and robots going wild and all these other things. Uh, and yeah, you're hungry. Go find some food. Get the grub. Good times. I'll tell you what, my, my current um, streaming binge stuff that my wife and I are watching is now the rebooted Battlestar Galactica that Sci-Fi Network came out with around 2005-ish. Yes. I guess yep. since I bought the box set and I watched the original run, because I'd never seen the whole thing as a kid. So I finished watching the whole original run. I think it was 24 episodes. So I binged that over a couple of weeks. Now we're watching a couple episodes a night of the, well, I'll call it the new one. It's now 15 years old or so. But um, it's actually halfway decent. I'm surprised. I wasn't sure I was going to like it. There's a few things I can nitpick, but I think it's Let's good. check in with Stevie after the last episode. Of season Put one? No, no of, of the new Battlestar Galactica you're talking about. Yeah. So there's... The, 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 they're just put a pin in the calendar for when you finish that you need to come back to it on the show okay when I finish the entire run yes okay. after you've seen the last episode of the last season no spoilers okay well hang on belt in the, you, you're not guessing how it's going you're wrong whatever you guess pretty much the entire time wait till you get to the end and then put a pin in let's talk about it then okay there are i mean so again i'm only on season one so i'll tell you some of the things that bugged me it bugged me that the cylon raider had the face of the cylon 
I just thought that was the most ridiculous. Oh, the new Cylon Raiders. Yeah, yeah, the new Cylon Raiders basically looks like the face of the old Cylon with some. But some you haven't found out why yet. That's well, fine. I've seen, I've seen it. I've seen it in in after in season one already, where Starbuck shot one down, and it's like organic inside, and so it's a hybrid of AI and that would be why based life form. But well, they didn't have to make the face look like the helmet of the original Cylon. It could have looked like anything. The grill of that spaceship literally could have looked like anything. So the fact they gave it a face, I find distracting. Anyways, that's just me. Um, but no, I like it. I, the whole, um, you know, Cylons look like people is a unique twist. The the blonde chick, uh, number six, who's like the seducing queen. I find her shtick to be a little old at this point because she just keeps doing the whole thing where I'm sexy and I'm going to seduce you. Is that James Cameron calling you right now? No, it's Lonnie from Zoic. He he would like to talk to you about the design of the Raider. <laughs> you know, but but we're watching it and I'm enjoying it. I, I like that they've done a few things. They've changed a few things. They've done a few gender swaps. They've added in, you know, the fact that Cylons um, don't now look like people and they, people don't even know what they're Cylons. So that's a unique twist. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride so far. I, I think well, the series... Edward almost. He's great in it. He not only is he great. After you see the last episode, I'm going to tell you something that he said related to it that is going to blow your mind right out the back of your skull. It is okay. so. Awesome. Okay. You're right, you're, yeah. you're going to sit down and go to the fridge and go. Okay, I'm going to be chewing on this for weeks. Right. Yeah. And, and another thing that I like because even I didn't realize when I watched the first run, but there was a huge religious undertone mm-hmm. to it you know the lords of cobalt and and the, the 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 tribe of the 13 colonies and how where humanity started and where humanity went to and you know kind of all this kind of religious threat and they've kept that religious undertone to it as well and you know it's really hard to bring religion into mainstream especially sci-fi without it feeling like you're beating somebody over the head so you almost have to kind of like with the force you know the force was just a distilled version of good versus evil so it is religious. They are talking about the gods and God, but they're you know, um, but it doesn't feel like you're being preached to or are being beat over the head with the space Bible, you know. So I feel it's a really good mix of hum- it's like the original series had a really a good level of humanity to it. It was a very human-based stories taking place in outer space. So I feel this is a really good balance. I'm enjoying the ride. I know I'm like 15 years late to the party. Uh, like a lot of things, but, um, but that's it's, why it's, they put them on disc is so that you podcasts on TV it, at three o'clock in the morning or whatever. It's good television. So if, you, if anybody hasn't seen it, I, I would, and you don't have to have seen the original series to enjoy watching this, but if you've seen them both, it's nice to draw some of the parallels and contrast. Um, but yeah, we're going on an hour and a half now. This has been a great, we just, so this is a new show we started with. This is episode 25 we're talking about random things that are hopefully uh, of interest to random people out there. And hopefully uh, people who are watching this live or will listen to it later will enjoy these conversations we had. Um, I've enjoyed the time Scott and I have spent together working on this show. I feel like we got a long way to go on coming up with a bigger and better show as time goes on, as uh, we have more time to devote to it. Um, Zach, thanks for being a friend of Scott's and, and watching our show and, and being there for us. And, and thanks for joining us. You're, Definitely. You're welcome to come back again when you feel like it, especially if you got something in particular you want to talk about. Same to you, Mr. Murphy. Uh, anytime you guys want to yeah. come back. I don't yeah. know what else we need to say that we haven't said because we could sit here and, and do this for hours. But I think an hour and a half is probably good enough. Um, right. But 
I'm happy that we reached this milestone. We reached 25 episodes and I'm looking forward to the next 25 and, you know, every day, every day is, is the next day in life. Right. So, um, yeah, I'm, also, I'm glad I, hope you guys are doing it too. It's nice to see Scott, you know, and you together and every week yeah, yeah. and, you know, I've had Scott on my Facebook for probably eight years now, maybe just, yeah. we have a, a lot of same interests. So whenever he reviews something, you know, I take <laughs> that in and I'm like, okay, I'll probably like it. Sometimes yeah. I don't agree. But. Yeah. 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 No, it's, no, it's if, you, if you agree with me all the time, something's wrong. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and like, and, and so Al and I have had these conversations too, like behind the scenes, just talking about, you know, because Al and I are on a different show that, that we do that's about a vintage computer. But him and I will be get to talking about things that has nothing to do with that computer. We just, and, and his discussions about his passion for the Alien franchise is what prompted me to want to do that on the show because I'm like, this is a topic we really need to delve into. And the other show is not the right show for it. So that was a topic we'd already chewed on a few times. His history and fandom in there and his, his vast knowledge of that uh, was great. And I feel that those episodes where we talked about the Terminator franchise and the Predator franchise and the um, the other one, the Aliens franchise, I think those were good those were good shows. Those ones we'd never stream live, so you're gonna have to listen to the podcast and hear them. But those were great content. Thanks for doing that, uh, Mr. Murphy. And um, is anybody watching Andor right now? Uh, I am. I just, just finished it. Okay. Is it done? Done? Because I think I got to episode ten. How many episodes are there going to be? I think it was the flea this week. I it's hard wrong. to tell. Honestly, because they leave on. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure, I know I'm not sure how up, many though. episodes are going to be on this season. Because usually these, these miniseries, are, they run in like eight episodes. But we're already on ten, and ten didn't feel like a finale. Um, it still feels like there's going to be one more thing, because it's like right now things are set up. Where they're, they're setting 11, up the funeral. 11, 11 episodes. So there's still wow, one more okay. episode. All right. So, yeah, it feels like they're, they got the funeral. They're trying to set the trap to catch, to catch cast. And I think that's going to be the finale. And I'm already hearing that there's going to be a season two. Yeah, there's, this yeah. is one of the. I keep saying it on my Facebook, and I will continue to say it. If you have complained about anything bearing the Star Wars name <laughs> over the past 45 years, but you are not currently singing the praises of this show as loud as you can, you have no right to complain about anything Star Wars ever again. Because this, right. is, this is one of the single best things to ever bear the Star Wars name. Absolutely. Between this and The Mandalorian, personally, I think the balance between those two shows, there's no reason for you to ever complain about the sequels or the prequels ever. You don't even need to think about them. With, with Andor and The Mandalorian, you don't need to think about what you don't like in Star Wars. There's, there's enough. There's enough. Yeah. Now the good outweighs the bad. Yes. <laughs> well, Rogue One fixed the prequels with five. Yeah, yeah, Rogue One. Yeah, and so basically, yeah, Andor is the backstory to Rogue One. It's yeah. the forming of the rebellion. It's the story of the of the forming of the rebellion, and it's really good. It's very espionage based. There's no there's no um, there's no Darth Vader. There's no Jedi's. There's no Force. It's, it's also it's, like a. It's all dare I say it's sort of also like the crime show that Boba Fett pretended to be. It's kind of the Andor is actually the real. It's a real crime show. These characters. Even some some of the ones who are supposedly on the quote unquote right side do some really terrible things at times. Yeah, and and Rogue One brought that out about the rebellion. Yeah. That's some fans hated it, 
I thought that was exactly what needed to be because there had to be some skullduggery yeah. against such an overwhelming opponent. You're going to cut some corners. You're going to have to bite back some Sacrifices need to be made for the greater good because yeah. it's literally the struggle against good versus evil on, on a, on a uh, global uh, interplanetary scale, intergalactic scale. Uh, and inter when they volunteer for the shuttle ride, he says it, and it, it lampshades that whole thing is, yeah, we've done bad things in a good cause. Yeah. yeah. And that's war. War is hell, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, cool. All right, well, let's put a fork in this and let's 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 wrap up this roundtable. But I want to thank our special guests, Zach G and Alan Murphy for joining us and Scott Wilson for being my partner in crime on this endeavor of insanity that we're going on here. Just talking about random, crazy stuff. Grown men talking to them like we're freaking kids excited about stuff. Playing like with toys and everything. Playing with, with toys. toys. Yes. <laughs> Yes, be afraid, be very afraid. So toys, get the toys. So at um, least you guys are armed when James Cameron kicks in the door. <laughs> yeah, I know my phone has not stopped blowing up. I mean, I got Wouldn't Lucas and Cameron shooting at him with rifle. I mean, really? It's yeah. from. Wait, didn't you come up with this, dude? Here, have him back. You know, it's so funny. Like I did at the beginning of the year, I did a trade show, and it was a superhero theme trade show, show. So you could like decorate your your tables, whatever. And there was stuff in the in the contract you had to sign. It's like if you are going to bring a weapon, make sure it very clearly looks like a toy weapon and not a real weapon, because you're gonna, you know, you're going into like a civic center, you're going through security, and you, you know, you don't want to bring in like this tommy gun that looks like a real gun because a lot of these toy guns look like this thing is badass but at least it's got a few colors to the plastic where you know it's not gonna flag security right away so. yeah scott have you thought about repainting yours uh the right colors i actually have but i'm uh, i knew it I knew and it. the funny thing is when he comes walking in my front door he's got a cardboard box that's like eight feet wide i'm like what the <laughs> hell is this guy bringing into my house i should have figured that alan already had one i, I yeah. don't know why this where's the like, box can you hold up the box this, this freaking box is, is is insane the size of this damn thing so um and I'm, I'm just like looking at at scott thinking what the hell yeah it is um it is a huge box uh, yeah. <laughs> yep and that's what he's bringing into my house. And Scott's a big guy. So this thing is nearly as big as Scott is. Well, not quite. Scott's like nine foot tall. So, um, but yeah, it is, uh, it's insane. So cool. So we're going to wrap it up. I do have a really cool little outro thing. So we'll just play a little outro thing. We can talk over it and then we're going to say goodbye. So. That's not the one. That's not the one because I can't talk over that one. So this is me not even knowing how to do the thing I'm supposed to do. So I need to bring this in. One button to the left, Stevie. Oh, well, Scott's down there putting his stuff away. So what was that, Alan? One button to the left. Yeah, or something like that. Right. So here we go. This is it. All right. So this concludes another episode of Culture Goat Pop Podcast, episode 25, Super Fan Roundtable with special guests, Zach G and Alan Murphy, hosted by Scott Wilson and... Strowbridge, and thank you all for listening and joining us. Uh, catch us wherever you get podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts and Amazon and iHeartRadio and Anchor FN and Spotify and all those other places. And check us out on the web, culturegoespop.com. Send feedback and show suggestions to show at culturegoespop.com. And thank you. You are too kind. And thank you. All right. So there you go. There's the jam. That's the jam I threw together for this show. 
Uh, a friend of mine's actually working on an, uh, an official theme song, which we don't have yet, so that's my makeshift theme. All right, we're going to press a button and say goodbye, everybody. Thanks again for being here. Thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. You'll be able to hear this probably Monday or Tuesday in the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to that podcast. Hit follow and um, rate and review the podcast, all the good stuff. Say goodbye, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All that good stuff. Bye-bye now. Have a good one.